you think it's possible to be inhabited by Almighty God and it not show? I don't think it's possible. Is it possible to have him in you and there not be evidence of it? I don't think so. And so you're seeing some of the evidence here in the lives of these wonderful folks. They're going at personal expense and sacrifice to a far place. Things are different there. And they're going because though the people are different, they stand in need of the same Savior who has rescued us. And they're evidence of some of the changes that the Lord can bring about in the life of someone who accepts him. Maybe it'll be you tonight for the first time. I want to direct your attention to a passage of scripture in the book we've been studying, Romans. It's in Romans chapter 8 where we are, and we'll be in verse 10 tonight, just a few verses beyond it. Romans, give you a chance to find it. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 10. We've been painstakingly going through this book because uh, I'm persuaded, as I think you are, if we get its contents right, then we won't be wrong about many, many, many theological matters. There's one before us tonight, and it's important to get this right. And so we'll see what it is in Romans chapter 8, verse 10. Let me read it. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead... Because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So here's the undeniable point everyone here has a body, and everyone's body is dying. Just look around. <clears throat> That's the inevitable uh, course of life. Our physical being is in a constant state of decay and decline. Those aches and pains you now experience, uh, verify this. The body is in a constant state of dying. It's in the process of reaching uh, its finality, and that is death. And what causes that pretty terrible process? It's clear. Uh, the passage tells us it is sin. Sin in us has begun the process of decline, physical leading to the finality of death, which leads to the question, uh, that's a big problem. Is there anything, therefore, that can be done about it? And the answer is yes, but not by us. There's not a thing we could do uh, to avoid the inevitability of death. I don't care how many carrots you eat, you're still going. Uh, you may go a little later than maybe the rest of us, but, but you're going. There's absolutely nothing any of us can do to uh, reverse the inevitability of death. Uh, but there is something that can be done, albeit not by us. It is this. It is Christ in us to give us life. Sin in us has resulted in our inevitable death. Christ in us results in our inevitable life, eternal life. That's what he does. He imparts life of an eternal kind. And whereas dying is the result of sin in us, living is the result of Christ in us. So uh, the Lord of life, the Lord Jesus, lives in you if you've asked him to. So that though you are in the process of dying physically, still you are living eternally spiritually. And the text goes on to say in verse 11, but if the spirit of him, the spirit of God, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus 
from the dead. You are aware of the fact that he is alive, are you not? Just checking. That is important. He was raised from, he was a corpse. He was murdered. His death was verified by the fact that he was buried. He was entombed. You do not put people in the grave prior to them dying. As evidence of the fact that he really died, he was buried. But the Spirit of God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. And this says, if that selfsame Spirit, responsible for raising uh, none other than the Lord Jesus from death, if that Spirit who raised him from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also, I really like the word also, will also give life to your mortal bodies. How? Through his spirit who dwells in you. This whole chapter is about the Holy Spirit in us. Prior chapters have been about sin in us. They haven't been very pleasant. But Paul has to make the case that we have a sin problem. And now we have the spiritual solution to sin in us. It's God's spirit in us. So the spirit of God who lives in believers is the same spirit, according to this text, who raised Jesus from the dead. When I lead groups to Israel, we go to a place called the Garden Tomb. Yeah, some of you have been there and seen photos of it. In fact, our own wonderful uh, James Bouvier uh, painted it, and it's available in our bookstore and as in a painting form or stationary. It's absolutely captivating. To me, it is, and I think it will be to you as well. And I, we don't know if that's the actual tomb in which the Lord was laid. It could very well have been. It surely dates from that period of time, but it's empty. And I remember reading a gospel account, and I share this with our folks when we go to that locale. It's in Matthew chapter 28, and it begins in verse 5. Ladies, early one morning, went to this tomb. They were met there uh, by a very special personage, an angel, who said to them, I know you come seeking Jesus who has been crucified. That's Matthew 28, verse 5. I know you've come seeking Jesus who has been crucified. And then the very next verse, Matthew 28, verse 6 says, he is not here, for he has risen. If all we have is verse 5, we have no reason for hope. If all there is was the crucifixion evidenced by the corpse of Jesus being entombed, if that's all there is, if all we could say is of Jesus is that he is one who has been crucified, then he's a has-been, and we have no hope. But verse 6 changes everything. It couples with the cross an empty tomb. I know the key symbol of our faith as it ought to be is the cross. But frankly, it's not enough. 
It has to be coupled, has to be brought into partnership with the empty tomb. Do you know these two symbols on our campus are not just of aesthetic value, and they are. The cross is beautifully done. The empty tomb is beautifully done. People pose there. They have weddings there. They take pictures there. They ought to. But they're not aimless symbols. The value of a symbol is what it symbolizes for crying out loud. Those two symbols are what give us hope. On the cross, the Lord Jesus suffered and died as our sin substitute. But if that's all there is, we, are, we have no hope of eternal life. But up from the grave he arose. That's the second symbol, the empty tomb. And because of the empty tomb, we, we're not left with Matthew 28, 5. Jesus has been. We have Matthew 28, 6. He is not here, for he has risen. Now, what's the point of me telling you all that? Folks, the same spirit who vindicated the Lord Jesus, who was convicted by every tribunal on earth, Jewish and Greek and Roman and all the rest, found guilty on trumped-up charges. This same Jesus was vindicated by his Father by being raised up to live eternally. And the same Spirit, according to this verse, who is responsible for raising none other than the Savior of the world, that same Spirit dwells in you if you're a Christian and in me, and it says that same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, this is the part I love, will do the same for you. We'll do the same for you. This is not wishful thinking for crying out loud. This is historical fact. The historical fact of the death, burial, please don't miss this, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is a historical, factual event, and the same event is going to happen to you and I if we've accepted this risen Savior as our personal Savior. i got to tell you something. This verse is pretty exciting. He who raised Jesus from the dead will also Give life to your mortal. It is a mortal body. Don't worry about it. He will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This reality is celebrated again and again and again when you go to the homegoing service of someone who's died in Christ. I got to tell you, Christians live differently and they die differently. You just have to witness that. I got to tell you, it's the most persuasive experience ever to see how someone in the Lord Jesus goes home. It's not with despair and fear and turmoil. It's with a yearning. In a moment, I'll be in the presence of a living Savior and the same Spirit who raised him up from death will raise me up out of this Mortal body to immortality. Folks, this is pretty good news. Sin in us makes for eternal dying, but God's spirit in us makes for eternal living. Earlier in the chapter, we read this wonderful verse, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that tells me we are free from condemnation and now we just spoke about how we are free from death. But don't misinterpret our freedom. We're not free to live as we choose and to do as we please. We still have an obligation to the God who set us free. And you'll see what it is in the very next verse, verse 12. It's first stated in a negative sense. Look, so then, brethren, 
we are under, see it, under obligation, or we owe a debt. Ah, but not to the flesh. That means our human sinful nature. We are not obligated. We owe nothing any longer to our sinful nature. That is to live according to the flesh. Folks, God's spirit is in us. We are under new management. I'm not, to use a military term, I'm not under any longer the command authority of my sinful nature and inclinations. It can bark out its orders to me, but I do not owe it any longer compliance and obedience. I now could say no because along with sin, which is still in me, I have the very spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. I not only now have a desire no longer to comply with the flesh, I'm empowered to say no to it. Now, I'm not free. Though I'm free from death and I'm free from condemnation, I'm not free from being grateful to God for what he has done for me. Are you kidding me? He put in me the very spirit who raised his only begotten son from death. I could therefore utter the words Jesus said I could. I could say along with him when I pray, our father. Can you believe it? Jesus is saying you can approach my father the way I do. He is our father. You have our spirit in you. For crying out loud, that causes such gratitude, don't you see? that we want to fulfill our obligation, our debt, it's a debt of gratitude to do that which is pleasing to God. And we're no longer, verse 12 says, under obligation to the flesh. Do you know we don't owe the flesh anything? Listen, I want to tell you something. The flesh has done us no good. You know that. I know that. Our sinful ways have not fared us well. We haven't derived benefit. Maybe a few minutes of temporary gratification, but good night. It put us into bondage. It caused us guilt and shame. It wreaks havoc in our lives. I'm not paying any more to that master who has abused me and exploited me. My sin nature, I know it's still there in me. My sin nature doesn't have mastery over me anymore. I don't owe it anything. I'm not grateful to, to my sin nature and my sinful ways. Oh, no. Instead, I have a debt of gratitude to the God who came into my life so as to change me from the inside out. Folks, if Christ had not saved us, our human sinful nature would have dragged us into hell, would have dragged us into the place of eternal dying. Look, verse 13, for if you are living according to the flesh, look what it says, you must die. That's what it says. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death, if you are killing, if you are putting to death the deeds, the sinful deeds of the body, you will live. Our fleshly, human, sinful nature leads us into the finality of death. Why should we any longer feel obligated to such a foe, such an enemy? But now that we have come to be inhabited by God's life-giving spirit, he is the one to whom we owe a debt. We're under new management. We're no longer debtors to the old management, sinful patterns that remained unchallenged. Now we're under obligation 
to new management, God himself. So what then is our obligation? Well, verse 13 tells us it is to be putting to death the deeds of the body. To paraphrase, we are supposed to murder sin. We're supposed to kill sin. The deeds of the body are the sinful deeds that are manifested through the members of our body, our eyes, our mind, our hands, our feet. Our job now, by way of showing gratitude to God, is to be in the process of putting to death those deeds of the flesh. Now look, if we're Christians, we are at peace with God. But I have to tell you, we're still very much at war with sin. You have to sort of know this. We're under obligation to God to be in a fight. Flesh versus, thank God, his spirit. We had no option before. We were all the big F, flesh. When we accepted Christ, he added to the formula, the big S, his spirit. One day, flesh uh, will be entirely removed. We'll receive glorified bodies. Until that happens, we're in a war. Flesh versus spirit. The spirit can overcome the flesh. It's the very spirit who empowered corpse-like murdered Jesus to rise up from death. He is the one who can enable us to win victory over fleshly inclinations. And we are told to be in a battle against sin, to kill it off. Now, we do not do this to earn our salvation. We do it as evidence of our salvation. And we are enabled to do it by the Holy Spirit. Look, we have been given uh, new life. That is good news but we cannot live this new life without help. That is bad news. But we have the very Spirit of God in us to help us live this new life. That has to be the best news ever. God's Spirit in us gives us the desire and the power to say no to what's wrong and to say yes to what's right. I have to tell you, doing that is evidence of the Spirit of God in you. If you do not see that kind of evidence of the Spirit of God in you, it's probably because the Spirit of God, how do you think I'm going to complete the sentence, is not in you. I'm not talking about perfection. There's only one who's perfect. But there ought to be new inclinations, values, priorities, interests in our life. Could I illustrate? I have a friend though he may not be my friend after tonight. Uh, and that's Greg right there. Greg, could you stand up just so I can introduce you to people? You may know him. Greg's a member of this church. That's Gre Greg, I'll tell you what. Since I got you this far, could you come up here? Now, Greg is a big guy, and I don't know if you noticed, but I'm not. So I hope you are in a good mood tonight. Greg, come, come up here. Uh, Greg is... Uh, a United States Marine. Have you ever heard of those? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and he's a man of grace. He's willing uh, to stand next to a guy who was in the United States Army. Yes, sir. There you I'm go. Commissioned in the Army by his yes. yeah, officer. <laughs> and uh, Greg and I talk every once in a while, and he, uh, he's just a great brother. We share our stories and our struggles, and our victories, and we were just talking before Bible study on Sunday about a bunch of stuff, and I thought, oh my goodness, Greg's life proves the text uh, I have not very adequately tried to explain to you. I, I'm trying to say, if the Spirit of God is in you, 
uh, then there ought to be evidence of the fact that the Spirit of God is in you. And, and that's not having total victory in all things. That's just having new inclinations. So I just want to use Greg as an illustration if I could. So, Greg, have you always been a Christian? No, sir. Uh, when did you become one? About a year, year and a half ago. A year and a half ago. And in that time, have you, have you changed at all? Have you seen changes? I wouldn't trade my life today for anything in the world. I know it, but, but, <laughs> but I mean the old life, you know, all that heroic stuff you did and the fun things you did and the wine, women, and song, if you don't mind me putting it that way. You wouldn't trade your present experience for that? No, it was cold beer, sir, but, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, today I, uh, I used to listen to country and western music, and I heard Brother John talk about uh, the, the, the only music there is, the the, all the music, the country and the western, but, you know, I listen to KSBJ now, and it's happened 20 or 30 times I'll go to my country station, and I won't even like the song that's on, and I go back to KSBJ. Uh, I... I don't deserve any any of what I have today. I don't. I know. I mean, there's the, the truth is, Father God is it. That's all he is. In fact, Brother John said something at the financial seminar. He was talking about stuff. And he said that it, it was all Father God's, that we were just stewards. And when he said that, it, it hit me like, that's not just stuff. That's Everything, everything, every person, place, or thing belongs to Father God. And all we can do, all I can do, is to be the best steward of it that I can be. You know? And uh, things have changed quite a bit. Um, you, you're a student of the Bible and you love it, do you not? Yes, sir, I do. And where are you reading of late? Uh, where's your focus and why? Uh, I've spent... Now I'm spending time in Psalms, and I'm doing that because having learned that King David was, was, was chosen by Father God, and King David made me look like a sissy when it came to doing what he did, you know, and uh, if, if he can do that, heck, now why can't I, you know, and I mean, he, I mean, but even at his very lowest point, he still continued to go to Father God and give God all the glory. And doggone it, that's where it goes. <laughs> you, you uh, I believe, chose a life verse from the Psalms. Could you share it with us? Yes, sir. Psalms 37 and 4 says to delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall grant thee the desires of thine heart. So there was a time when you delighted in other things, leaned on other things. Has all that changed? There's a big difference between the desires of our heart, my heart, and the other desires. The I'm not allowed to say a bunch. <laughs> you know, the downstairs area and the bank account and the pickup truck and the job and all that, that doesn't have a doggone thing to do with the desire of my heart. Not a doggone thing. You are a, a changed and transformed person. Did all that come ab about by your uh, self-will, determination, uh, did you do all this yourself? In my opinion, self-will, and, and I'll invite anybody, if anybody believes that self-will has anything to do with it, 
I'll take them to the corner store across the street, buy them a box of X-Lax, and tell them to use their self-will for the next couple of days. Well, there's your graphic Marine Corps illustration. <laughs> right. I'm probably in trouble now. <laughs> Not any more than usual. God bless you, brother. Please thank Greg. Uh, you could pray for Greg. Uh, he, he would not, well, I mean, not just because, um, it, it, as a Marine, he's really served his country in uh, hot and sticky situations, has seen a lot, has done a lot, and it affects a person. Even uh, a big, strong person like Greg, who's strong enough to say, I don't mind if people pray for me. You know, we're all in the process of recovering from things, so when Greg comes to mind, I'd appreciate it if you pray for, for him. I love what Greg just shared. He so, so wonderfully shared what I'm trying uh, desperately to get at, and that is, if you are inhabited by the Spirit of God, <laughs> it has to show. Now, Greg is the first to say, and he's not a finished product. We're not trying to lay any of those heavy burdens on people. Only the Lord Jesus is perfect. But the whole direction of Greg's life, not overnight, little by little, has changed. And that is a tough Marine who's been in battle. But he's in a battle now uh, uh, that may be even, even tougher because it can't be fought with the same weaponry the Marine Corps equipped uh, this fine marine with. This is a spiritual battle of flesh versus spirit. I am absolutely free. So are you, Greg. I am free before the Lord Jesus Christ, but I still have to wage war against my flesh. And that is not something I do to merit salvation. That's something I do to evidence salvation. If you're not seeing that kind of struggle, the things that used to give you pleasure now cause you misery. The things you had no interest in, now you value. If you're not seeing that kind of thing, I think there's reason to believe, well, maybe you're not connected as a son or a daughter uh, to Almighty God. I'll tell you what I mean. Look at verse 14. This will be our last verse for tonight. Verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. What we just read can never be said of any unbeliever. And what we just read is always said of every believer. See, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, all who see evidence of the leading of the Spirit of God in their life, these are sons of God. Now, some think this means uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit in a general sense, like, oh, God, would you lead me in my decision about which college to attend uh, or what job to apply for or what person to marry. And surely God's Spirit leads us in those specific areas. But I don't think that's what the context is saying to us here at all. Remember, verse 14 comes hot on the heels of verse 13. Verse 13 says, uh, we are to be about the business of putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And it says, this we do in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now verse 14 says, all who are being so led by the Spirit, all who are being led in a victorious battle against the deeds of the body, these are the sons of God. If you're not seeing a change and a measure of victory 
over this despised and alien foe, your own sinful patterns and inclinations, if you're not seeing a measure of victory, I didn't say we don't stumble and fall, I'm talking about you're not seeing new patterns replace old ones, then maybe there isn't evidence that you're being led by the Spirit of God. If you're inhabited by the Spirit of God, remember the same one who empowered Jesus to rise up from death. If you're being inhabited and empowered by this Spirit, you are being led by him. New inclinations, new thoughts, new values, all the rest. And that's all evidence of the fact that you are a son or a daughter of God. Someone says, what is a Christian? Well, a lot of good definitions. I like this one. A Christian is someone who is indwelt by the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ and who shows evidence of it. A Christian is someone who is possessed by the Holy Spirit of God, and that Spirit is leading him or her into entirely new ways, new things. Listen, I called a friend today. Uh, he's a little older than me, so not a young man, and he's a working man. And he was repairing something, had his tools strapped over here, and he was on a ladder, and he fell down. You, you, put, you know who I'm talking about. He's been an old friend of ours, and he fell and broke his legs so severely they had to take him down to the uh, medical center, and the doctor sent on a scale of one to six, as far as severity of break, you're a six. And so kind of a bad thing. And I was just talking to him today on the phone after his second surgery and just seeing how he's doing and what's going on. And my heavens, I got so encouraged. Uh, I spoke to him about this, and, and he said, uh, I said to him, do you think this took God by surprise? I know it took you by surprise, but... Do you think God was surprised? Absolutely not. He said, no, no, no. In fact, I think God allowed it. God allowed it? He said, absolutely. It's good that this happened to me. Did I hear you correctly? Did you just say this break, very severe break, is good? Hey, how in the world could you benefit from this? Well, I'll tell you, he said. He said, I'm just a busy guy. I think my worth is wrapped up into what I do. I'm a get-it-done kind of a guy. I'm not a philosophical guy. I'm a doer, not a hearer. In fact, I get my strokes from doing. Well, now I can't do too much. I, basic functions, I'm dependent on people. I'm having a real hard time doing this, and the Lord is teaching me what the basis of my worth is. It's not what I do, it's whose I am. Not only that, I'm a very impatient person, and I don't like to be around people who drag their feet. I'm just a down-to-earth, get-it-done person, and I am learning patience. Not only that, he said, he says, you got time? I'm, I said, oh, absolutely. He said, not only that, in every room around me, I'll bet you there are people who are worse off than me. I said, what do you mean worse off? Look at the severity of your break. Well, he said, oh, I'm not talking about that. I may be in worse shape physically than a number of them, but I'll bet you most of them, most of them are not as healthy as I am spiritually. Look, if anything happened to me, said he, my eternity is assured. The Lord Jesus, risen up from death, is the first fruits of life after death. I'm going to follow suit no matter what happens. I know this is no accident. I know this didn't happen out of the blue. It's not the cruel winds of fate. It's not random. This took place by my father who's a God of order. How many other people in the beds all around me up and down the hall have that notion that there's a reason and a purpose and a context for this? Bad things can happen to good Christians, but God can make bad things turn into good things. Nothing takes place that he doesn't approve of. He's the most type. Anyway, he's going on and on. And man, I was writing down ferociously because I needed a message for tonight. <laughs> 
Don't you see that's what it means to be led by the Spirit of God? I want to tell you, he just gave a truckload of evidence of the fact that he is a son of God. I don't want to hurt your feelings or, or cause you to doubt things you shouldn't doubt. I just want you to know if you're not seeing those things, maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. But do not despair. You could before you leave here tonight. We'll give you an, an opportunity. Anyway... Everybody who is a true Christian sees evidence of the Spirit of God leading them victoriously into this battle against sin. Do you see that happening in you? If you are a true Christian, you ought to. Notice, Paul did not say, all who go to church are sons of God. He did not say, all who do good things are sons of God. He did not say, all who are religious are sons of God. He didn't say any of these things. He said, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. I'm mowing my lawn the other day. It's something I love to do. It's therapy. You don't have to talk to anyone. You don't have to coordinate with anyone. You just get your gear on. You get your mower. You go, and the goal is to make your yard look much better than your neighbor's. I don't know if you knew this. This is what you do. If you're a real man, that's what you do. Anyway, I'm out there doing this thing. I do this on my day off. That's how I spend my day off. This is the equivalent of therapy and golfing and fishing and all, and I get an edge. Oh my, you can cut your hand on the edge of my yard. Some call it idolatry. Yeah, a little bit. But anyway, I'm out there, and I'm about the business, and I'm getting to it, and uh, the young boy next door starts to cut his lawn. He's a teenager. I met him Briefly, he and his parents, they're relatively new neighbors, hadn't had much conversation. One time, I mowed their yard. When they were in the process of moving in, I thought, I'm going to mow their yard, and maybe we'll develop a relationship and stuff like this. And they brought us over cookies and things like that. And so we developed a little bit of a tie, but not much. Well, anyway, the young boy comes out. And I had heard from his parents a couple days before. He's graduating from one of our area high schools. He's a senior, and he's on his way to the Marine Corps, Kelly and Greg, I tried to talk him out of it, but he's going to the Marine Corps. I guess he couldn't fulfill the standards of the Army. And so, so anyway, uh, this young boy's going to Marine. I said, you ready? Are you in shape? You look like you're in shape. He says, yeah. And I start telling him, listen, here, this is important, basic training. You know, they're going to just tear you up. Here's the key to succeeding in basic. Do not take it personally. They don't even know you. It's not about you. They don't know you. This is just to see how you're going to make it. Because in combat, if you can't follow orders and take the heat, you're, a, you're not a combat multiplier. You can't go into combat with guys who, uh, who need to be who are a burden, that you have to carry a burden. So that's all that's going to happen. He's, oh, yeah, I'm ready, and all this kind of stuff. And I said, but there's something more to it. You have to be spiritually ready. You're about to enter a vocation that involves life and death. It's honorable, for sure. Uh, but it's a life and death matter, and uh, you need to start thinking about life and death and matters of eternity. And uh, I had a little tract in my pocket. I know some people don't like tracts. Well, you don't have to use them to each his own. I do. It just makes a nervous evangelist. I'm a nervous evangelist. I have something to do. And I, I put on the back on a, uh, my name, and I put Sagemont Church, and I put the number of the church. Someone wants to follow up, they can call me over here. Anyway, I say, hey, look, I'd like to give you this. The message of this little piece of paper changed my life. Do you have a few? I know we want to mow our yards, but he said, yeah, my parents want me to do this. I said, we, we, we'll get there in just a second. I said, could I just talk to you a little bit? I didn't, not much. Could I talk to you a little bit about this? Anyway, he listened and all the rest. I asked our staff if they'd pray for him uh, today as he goes off to the Marine Corps. Here's, here's my point in all that. 
Not in a bazillion years would I ever have seen myself doing something like that. I don't know if I ever believed in eternity. I don't know if I believed in the Bible being anything but stories. I don't know what I thought about God. I sure didn't care about my next door neighbor's life and eternity. I sure didn't want to get out of my comfort zone and maybe risk offending somebody. And I sure didn't want to stop mowing my yard for some kid going into the Marine Corps. And then I finished and I said, oh, God, I'm so grateful that you took up residence in my life. I'm entirely different. That's not my style. That is not my thing. That is not me. Oh, God, I'm so grateful to be led by your spirit in me. And then I was doubly grateful because I knew, oh, my goodness, I have evidence that I am a child of the king. I'm not better than the kid next door. I'm not better than anybody. I don't have it all scoped out. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I'm being led in a greater measure of victory over my selfish, self-absorbed, sinful inclinations. They're still there, but I'm being led in a measure of victory over it, the likes of which I never had. And that's not willpower, reading self-help books, or any of that kind of stuff. That's an evidence of the Spirit of God in me. You need to listen, this verse does not say all who are driven by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It says all who are being led by the Spirit of God. I wasn't obligated, compelled, exploited, whipped, burdened, threatened. I was wooed. I was touched. My heart was affected by a gentle, dove-like Holy Spirit in me, giving a helpful nudge, giving a helpful nudge. Stuart, do it. Your lawn could wait. That boy could die. And you don't know where he's going if he did. Leave your... You see, it was just as hell. Do you see stuff like that? Just these inclinations. This, your heart is... Here's the deal. A true Christian doesn't need to be coerced to do what God wants him or her to do. God's spirit in us has so reformed our thinking and desires and our hearts. There's just a new inclination to want to do what pleases God. You know why? The spirit of God in us has led us to see that Jesus Christ and pleasing him is of much more value than the temporary pleasures of sin. That's an evidence of the spirit of you. So I ask you, we'll close now, I promise. Are you led this way? You haven't arrived, neither have I. There's still a war. We're still in the race. We haven't crossed the finish line. But do you see yourself guided, coached, mentored, wooed, encouraged from the inside out so that your life is on an entirely different path? If so, this verse is given by Paul, verse 14, not to hurt us, but to help us. You who are being led by the Spirit of God, you are sons of God. Isaac Newton was a British uh, physicist and mathematician, lived in the 1600s, died in 1700 and something. Thought to be perhaps one of the world's most influential scientists came up with three laws of motion. Here's the first in his own words. Everything continues in a state of rest. Nothing moves. Everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. Folks, morally, ethically, spiritually, 
you and I experienced inertia. We're in a state of rest. We're not moving towards God at all. We are stuck the way we are. And then a force comes upon us to stir up change. And the force is God's Spirit, the same one who raised Jesus from the dead. And His Spirit in us has moved us from inertia, from being stuck, to forward movement. Leaps and bounds, for some yes, for others no. Two steps forward, sometimes one step back, of course, I got that too. But still the direction of, there's a Christian one and a half years old in the Lord. He's a baby. And look at the changes the Holy Spirit has wrought in his life. Folks, this is not a cause for guilt and shame and nervousness and anxiety. This is a cause for rejoicing. If you see some of these changes, anyone like them in your life, rejoice. This is evidence of the fact that you are being led by the Spirit of God. And if you are being led by the Spirit of God, you have assurance that you are a child of Almighty God. You're a son or a daughter of Almighty God. I got to tell you something. That juices me. Does it juice you? I'm asking you a question. Okay, thank you. If the answer is I don't know or no, could you visit with us when we take leave of one another soon in the Connection Center? Could we just introduce you to some wonderful people who'll just hear you out, see what's on your heart, what's going on, what is your hunger? What, what do you think will satisfy it? Maybe you'll let us talk to you about how we believe Jesus will satisfy the hole in your heart. Give us a chance. If you're a Christian and you say, yes, I see evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life, and therefore I have assurance that I am a son of God, then if you break your leg, if you lose your job, if something happens, no matter what, oh, my goodness, you are irreversibly adopted into the family of God and a living Savior. If he's dead, then I have nothing more to say. A living Savior awaits your arrival in a heavenly abode where he may, depending on how he lived, be able to say, good job, good and faithful servant. Welcome home, Lord Jesus. This is not our home. That's why we're a little uncomfortable. We're just on TDY, temporary duty. Ready for PCS, permanent change of station. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for empowering us to fight this battle against sinful patterns. They rear their ugly head, but they have no command authority over us anymore. We now have desire and capacity to say no to a cruel dictator from which we have been set free. But we're not free from our obligation to be so grateful to you that we choose to do that which pleases you and avoid that which brings you displeasure. And in order to do it, you have implanted in us yourself, your very spirit, my heavens. The spirit that raised you, Lord Jesus, from the dead can raise us to new victorious resurrection life. Help us. To listen to the voice of the Spirit in us. Not to quench him in sin, but to follow his lead. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for all you have done, all you are doing, all you will do one day. When the very presence of sin in our members 
is one day eradicated. We look forward to that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.